The following program was made possible by the generosity of those who have determined to hold fast to the true Roman Catholic religion, as expounded by the Roman Catholic Church before the disasters of Vatican II and the so-called New Mass. Welcome to What Catholics Believe. Again, this is another uh, special edition. <clears throat> I'm going to address a question that has been brought uh, to us here at uh, What Catholics Believe. The question is this. How are we, as traditional Catholics, supposed to address the problems that come up even within our own families? Um, how are we supposed to um, interact with family members who are doing immoral things? acting against their faith, acting against the morality of the church, uh, perhaps even having abandoned their faith and going doing things for which they'd be excommunicated, following lives <clears throat> which we see as cut off from God's grace, uh, cut off from the church. How do we continue to interact with them uh, without betraying our own faith, the doctrinal principles of faith and morals that the church gives us? Some very practical examples, for example, would be having a, a son or a daughter, brother or sister, these days even a parent who goes off and uh, uh, commits adultery, lives in adultery, is, is uh, either abandoned uh, a, a spouse of his or her own, or gone off and joined uh, living together with somebody else's spouse, okay? Maybe they, uh, you have a son or a daughter who married a woman who was divorced or a man who was divorced. Maybe they're living um, a deviant lifestyle. Heaven um, knows that's a danger today because of the perversion of the times. Um, <clears throat> what if you just have a son or a daughter who are living with their, uh, their consort or whatever, uh, boyfriend or girlfriend. What do you do about that? How do you conduct yourselves? Well, first of all, we might say there, is, there are certain principles that we have to follow. And uh, the one, one principle is this, we cannot betray our faith and our hope and our love for our Lord. We have to be true to Him. Um, we must not betray our Lord in any way. We must understand that if we betray our Lord in order to accommodate the immorality of our loved one, we are betraying our loved one. If we leave behind our moral principles, the principles given to us by Christ and his church, in order to accommodate, in order to please our errant brother, sister, son, daughter, mom, or dad, we are betraying them, too. That we are actually encouraging them to go to hell, is what we're doing. If we, um, in any way, indicate to them that what they're doing is okay, it's okay with us, because even though we've raised them to believe it's wrong, even though we've said it a thousand times, this is morally, this is morally wrong, mortally sinful, and if you do these things, you will go to hell, when it comes down to it, because someone we care about, someone we love in this world, is doing it, suddenly 
we make an exception of them and say, well, in your case, it's okay. Why? Because you're my son, you're my daughter, and I'm going to go along with this. Because I don't want to hurt you. <clears throat> this is your special day, right? You're walking down the aisle with somebody else's husband, somebody else's wife, a divorcee, and you're going to marry them, and this is your special day. Really what they're saying, to some extent, is, well, if I don't support you in this, you're going to be mad at me, you're going to cut me off, you're not going to let me see my grandchildren, and they will be my grandchildren, even if the two of you aren't married, because you're my son, and this is, this is, these are your children. You're going to punish me unless I support you. You're going to be angry with me, perhaps even hate me, because I am not going along with you and, and smiling through this, even though it's, it's tearing my heart in half, I have to smile and just nod and support you in your decision here. We cannot do that. A parent who would do such a thing would betray not only God, but would repay, re betray his son, his daughter, his brother, his sister, his parents. He betrayed those souls. He'd be essentially saying to them, look, what you're doing, it's okay with me. Or, it's wrong, but it's not that wrong. It's wrong, but it's not that sinful. That would be a lie. It would be a scandal. We would be guilty for doing such a thing. We would be guilty of giving great scandal, betraying Christ, likely guilty of blasphemy also, and have the blood of our own loved one on our hands for, for encouraging them to go to hell. And betray our Lord, condemn their own souls. Not only condemn their own souls, but condemn the souls of everybody around them who would go along with it. The person they're getting involved in this crime, this sin, who might be so confused that they don't know the gravity of what they're doing. The grandchildren that they're going to have, by going along with this, you are encouraging all of this. This apostasy, this mockery, uh, this adultery, for example, and uh, it would be greatly immoral. You'd not only be helping your own loved ones to go to hell, you would be willing to lead them, not just follow them to hell, you'd be willing to lead them to hell with a big smile on your face. That's a crime against God and against man. Now, the only thing you can do is be faithful to our Lord. And that gives you hope that your loved one will finally save his soul because you, because you have not encouraged them to betray Christ. Your encouragement is quite the other way, to, be do, to do what is right, to renounce, acknowledge the sin, to renounce the evil, and to return to faithfulness to our Lord. But here's the problem, okay? <clears throat> the problem is, how do you do that charitably? How do you do that charitably? Because uh, just as we say, in no way can you uh, betray our Lord, again, that's a matter of love. And it is that same love that should motivate you in your treatment of your, of your relative. It's the same love with which you approach them. It's the love of charity. So how do you tell them they're wrong? How do you refuse to do what they want you to do, to endorse what they're, what they're proposing to do, or what they're actually doing, how do you firmly refuse that and at the same time do so 
charitably. How do you make them understand that? Uh, it's wrong and you're motivated by a love for God and for them at the same time. Well, uh, I think if you become angry and hateful because it is a great sorrow for you, it is, it is painful for you <coughs> to have this happen. It is humiliating for you to have a son or a daughter or brother or sister or parent doing such things. Um, in your circles as traditional Catholics, it is embarrassing for you to have that happen. And so you can react out of anger. You can be furious. And the closer you are to them, the more the, the greater the temptation, because you care about them so much, because they're so close to you in life, because they seemingly reflect on you, because you have responsibility for them. This affects you personally very, very much. So you can take this very personally and react very personally, and that can be very bad, because you can react out of anger. And if you react out of anger, then it will appear to everyone that you're acting out of selfishness and out of basically um, that you're just offended by this and you're on the attack because it's your will against theirs. That's how it appears. You don't want it to appear that way. You want to always make it clear that it is not your will against theirs, that you're not being judgmental, that it's not a matter of your idea against their idea, but that what you're following is our Lord and his teaching. Simple as that. I believe in our Lord Jesus Christ. He has said this is wrong. I accept that. I believe that is the truth. And therefore, I have to be faithful to him. He is the Son of God. He's my Savior. He's also the Son of God and your Savior. And uh, I am concerned for your salvation. Um, it is very important to convey to a relative who is putting you and the whole family through this horrible ordeal. It is very important to convey to that particular relative um, what they are doing to you, what they are doing to the rest of you. Not in a hateful, mean way. Um, as though you are offending me, you are hurting me, how dare you do this? No, not that. But you see, the relatives who do such things want, demand your support. And um, they are acting very selfishly. They're not thinking at all in terms of the pain and suffering they're causing you or anybody else in the family. All they're concerned about is that you, by not supporting them, you're hurting them. They're thinking very selfishly. And unless you handle it very, very carefully, they may reinterpret your reaction the same way that they're acting, as though you're reacting out of pure selfishness. And so if you say, no, I will not support you in this, I cannot support you in this, uh, they who are just wallowing in selfishness and thinking only in terms of themselves, it's all about them, and whether this makes them happy or not, will see you doing the same thing they're doing. That's how they think. That's how they think others think. That's how they think you think. So you have to make it very clear to them, look, um, in, in moral theology, they always use the name Titus and Bertha as their standard uh, names for operators, agents in these moral theology cases. So I'll take the name Titus. You say to your son Titus, Titus, 
What you're doing is very, very painful to me. I cannot begin to convey to you how much this hurts me. And it hurts me because um, I love you, because I love you as a dear son. And my greatest concern for you is the salvation of your soul. I love your brothers and sisters. And I see not only are you, are you attacking your own soul, but you're attacking their souls too by giving them this terrible example. And it is uh, out of love that I am motivated in saying to you, I cannot support you in any way. What you're asking me to do is to support you in, as far as I am concerned, losing your soul, condemning your soul to hell. I will never support you in that. I cannot support you in that. Even if you are angry with me, even if you choose to hate me for that, because I will not support you in your sin, I cannot do so. Because I love you. You can even quote St. Paul, who wrote, I believe to the Corinthians, uh, that loving you more, I be loved less, because I am doing what love demands, that love requires me to do. You could say, uh, if you had a cancerous tumor that was threatening to take your life, I would. I would be willing to have you as my child undergo an operation. I would hate to see you cut. I would hope to see the uh, surgeons open your body to remove this, surgeon, this, this tumor. I would hate to see them do this violence to you. But I would do it out of love, even though it hurt me. I would feel every stroke of the knife in myself. But I would do it to save you. And so I must do what I see as necessary to save you. And that is, I cannot support you in this. If you choose to be angry with me for that, because all you're concerned about is that your feelings are hurt, well, I am sorry for that. I'm willing to accept that because I love you. But I just ask you to realize that you're hurting a lot of people's feelings. And, um, and you don't seem to care about that. But these are all people who love you. I am among them. And I will always do what I can out of love for you to help you in every way, but I will never go along with doing anything that hurts you or even threatens to uh, destroy your life and destroy your soul. You, know, you have to just uh, lay it on the line. If you can't say that, and often you can't say these things to them because they're so angry, because they want what they want makes it, that makes them happy or they think will make them happy. And uh, you had better get on board and give them what they want and their support and go along with it, or you're the enemy. And so when you try to tell them these things and try to talk to them out of a genuine love for them, they will interrupt you, they will cut you off, they will start shouting. They will then go back and misquote you and attribute to you things that you didn't say, but what they thought you meant, and that's all they need, because as far as they're concerned, that's what you said, and you could never convince them otherwise. Uh, they will interpret what you say as accusing them, you calling them names, evil names, but you never did. You're just saying they're doing things that are wrong, committing adultery, and therefore you call them adulterers, and you call them this, and you call them that. Sometimes even very obscene names, which you never did, and which you never would do. But this is the frame of mind they're in. They will interrupt you, mischaracterize you, and so on. So, Often in cases like that, I recommend writing, it, writing a note, sitting down, after having prayed the rosary, 
uh, prayed the Memorare, uh, prayed the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel, sitting down and simply composing a message. Not a long message necessarily, perhaps even the shorter the better, as long as you can say what you need to say. Uh, put it in, uh, in writing. Uh, save it. Make a copy of it for yourself. Uh, read it, reread it, edit it, correct it. Ask for God's guidance in knowing not only what to say, but exactly how to say it so that you cannot be misunderstood. And then when you're done and you think that this says as well as I possibly can say what is in my heart, what is in my mind, it speaks for my faith and my hope and my love for God and my, my love for my child, my brother, my parent, whatever. And so I'm going to explain why I cannot be the best man at your quote-unquote wedding. Why I cannot assist you in this, in this novus ordo endeavor you're getting involved in. Uh, whatever it might be. And uh, put it in the envelope, uh, sprinkle that with holy water, uh, enclose a dozen memorares with it, leave it where they'll find it, or mail it to them. What can they do? They can refuse to read it. They can tear it to shreds. Doesn't take anything away from you. It was your effort. You kept a copy. You know what you said. And you know what you meant. Um, or they can open it up and they can read it. They can read it and become very angry. But they can't interrupt you because you've said everything you wanted to say right there in black and white. It's all down there. They can't cut you off. And later on, they can't go back and say, but you said this to me. You told me this. You called me that. Because exactly your words are there memorialized in that note and you have a copy of it you know what you said you can prove it to i never said that but not only that but when they get it they can read it and become angry again they can read it again and again and again until finally it begins to sink in the meaning of your word begins to sink in and hopefully the time will come when they'll take out that note and they'll be humbled enough to actually hear what you have to say, take it to heart, and realize you are motivated by love for them. And uh, that could be the beginning of a serious conversion for them when they find out that all of their ecstatic plans for peace, love, and joy didn't work out very well because you'll never find them by betraying God by sin. But uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, then, on an ongoing basis, what if you have a situation now that is a fait accompli, it's been done, and you have a son or a daughter who's living in this state? <coughs> uh, maybe their marriage is valid. Uh, maybe they're just not raising their family as they should, a, a traditional Catholic family. Maybe they've strayed from their faith. How do you deal with them? Again, Charitably, you don't compromise your faith. You make it very clear where you stand, but you make it also very clear that you do love them, and you will always do what love requires, and you would ask them not to require of you to do anything against your love for God. Um, you're not judging their, the state of their conscience. God alone is the judge of the state of their conscience. You're not the one who can give them grace, only God can. You do not know what graces God has given them. God knows. 
so you are not their judge. Christ is their judge. That's a fact. You, you, on the other hand, you have to judge what they're doing according to the standards of what Christ said is right and wrong. So you judge the act, not the person who is acting. We've said that many times in the past. It's, it's true. Uh, but nonetheless, you must judge the act and say, this is morally wrong. In itself, it is morally wrong. So you may say, well, okay, I'm not judging your conscience. But I don't want you to judge mine either. I don't want you to demand that I violate my conscience in order to please you. And so you tell your loved one who may be living in an adulterous union, and objectively it's adultery, um, that you love them, that you will um, be faithful to Christ, but also charitable and loving to them and help them in any way that really helps them. If there are natural things you can do that will help, you help them. Um, you perform the seven corporal and seven spiritual works of mercy to help them in every way you can. But you will never violate your conscience, and they cannot demand that you violate your conscience by acknowledging that they're validly married, that this is anything other than adultery. How could you do that? Well, suppose you had a son or a daughter who is an adulterous union, living with a person to whom they are not married, someone who is perhaps married to somebody else and divorced from them. You could never let them live, you could never let them visit your home as though they were husband and wife. You could never let them live in your home, stay, spending, uh, giving them one room as a one bedroom to stay together in. That would be implicitly recognizing and acknowledging that their union is a legitimate union. And it isn't. You know it is. Fornication or adultery, if one of them is married to somebody else, would be adultery. You cannot set them up. You cannot provide the occasions of sin for them. You cannot refer to them as Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so. Uh, legally, they may be so. Morally, they are not. They cannot be morally. If you were to do anything that would indicate to them or others that you accept that they are married, even though you know they are not validly married, and according to the principles of the, of the church's moral doctrines, they cannot be morally married, uh, married to each other, then you, by giving the impression that you accept that they are married to them or to others in your family, you're giving scandal. And so you have to be very wary of doing or saying anything that would indicate your acceptance of the situation as being morally okay. You don't want to scandalize your son or daughter who were involved in this union because if you give them any pretext for believing, oh, mom and dad are accepting this. Oh, look, mom and dad used to be very, very uh, standoffish about this, refusing to allow certain things. Now mom and dad are beginning to yield and weaken. Now they're beginning to allow certain things. Now they're beginning to allow us to come into their home. Now they're allowing to allow us to stay overnight in the same bedroom. Their position is changing. Their position is weakening. They really don't hold the same position they had before. They're accepting now 
that what they used to say was that an adulterous union isn't an adulterous union, or at least if it is, it's not that bad. That would be giving scandal to the very son or daughter who's causing the situation. And by doing so, you'd be, giving, you'd be encouraging them to lose their souls. What about your other sons and daughters, too? What, are you, what example are you giving them by doing that, by making those concessions? When people are living in that condition, they look for those concessions. And they, they pounce on them, as it were, as indications that you are weakening in your resolve. And that is legitimizing in their mind what they're doing. You cannot do that. You have to be very firm in that. Charitably firm. Firm, charitable, yes, both. That's the hard part. But you have to be. You have to let them know you're being firm in this, but it's because you love them so much. You would die for them. You would give your life for them, but you cannot give yourself for them. That is God's. Um, the, um, the others who see this too, by, by making these concessions, you could not only be scandalizing those who are actually deep in, deep into this objective sin, but you could be scandalizing dozens of other people who know what's going on and they see you beginning apparently to weaken in this. The only way you can retrieve the situation is by backing away from it and taking a firm stand which actually reiterates with firmness again and it just again drives the stake deeper. It makes it worse if you give in and then you realize, oh, I made a mistake, I gave concessions and now I have to reverse it and go to the, to the other, I have to do more against it in order to offset my concession. Uh, it just makes it worse. Every concession always makes it worse. So be very strong in that. But no matter what you do, make it very clear that what you are doing is motivated by a real love for all concerned. Not only for your son or your daughter, but for that poor person who is along in the adultery with them. For that soul too. They may be far less culpable, for all you know, than your own son or your daughter. The person they've chosen, the divorcee they've chosen to get together with in their adulterous union, may be some poor soul who's just wandering over the face of the earth, devoid of any moral, moral knowledge. Uh, they have a conscience of their own, yes, but who knows what examples they grew up with, what their family life was, what they really understand about morality. You might find that they're much more receptive to the Catholic message than your own son or daughter is, who's hardened his or her soul against it. So your charity extends not only to your own son or daughter, but it has to extend also to the person whom they're actually living in sin with. You have to be concerned about both these souls, and you have to show it in your kindness to them. This is one thing about our Lord, okay? Um, the, a woman caught in adultery is brought to him. He's going to die a terrible death on the cross for the sin she's committing, committing that very day. And yet you see the kindness and the gentleness and the compassion of our Lord to sinners, 
even as he's being absolutely resolute in condemning the sin. When he saves the life of the woman caught in adultery, and he says, Go now and sin no more, lest something worse happen to you. Worse than being stoned to, to death? Yes. Hell is worse than any, any death we can undergo in this life. Yes, literally, that something worse happened to you than being stoned to, to death. Our Lord is very resolute and very kind, very charitable. And those sinners who come to him uh, find always in him a great charity. And that is motivated by charity. That's why sinners were drawn to him. Because he was merciful, charitable, and resolute in condemning the sin. Uh, this is not something we find in the modern modernist church today. They tend to be uh, very soft when it comes to the sin itself, which is not mercy but cruelty to the sinner. So I don't know if this is helpful or not, but uh, I'll just I'll just sum up by just this one more example. Okay, suppose you are asked to partake in a friend's invalid marriage. Let's say you have a friend who's a baptized Catholic. And he intends to get married to a Lutheran in a Lutheran church, an atheist in a gazebo at the park, married by um, uh, the, the um, atheist brother-in-law who has gone online and become an online minister. Again, totally invalid. Totally invalid. Let's say you're going to marry a Jewish girl in her synagogue, whatever, whatever it is. It's an invalid marriage. A Catholic cannot validly marry except before a priest, a, a, a Catholic priest and two witnesses. These are the requirements of, of canon law. Duly authorized priest, but in these days, we're talking about traditional Catholics. They have to be married before a traditional priest who's practicing the traditional Catholic faith. Um, out of that, outside of that, marriages are invalid. Now, there, there's a case of, um, let's say, uh, Novus Ordo Catholics getting married in the Novus Ordo because they think it's, it's Catholic. Mistakenly, however, they, they believe it is the Catholic religion there. We do not impugn those va the validity of those marriages as long as the uh, matter and the form and the intention are proper because it is the theology of the Catholic Church that the husband and wife marry each other by their mutual consent, an expression of consent. And uh, the presence of the two witnesses is required. In the Catholic Church, for example, in missionary areas, according to Canon, I think it is 1099, that even if a priest were not available for as much as a, a little as a month, the Catholic people could get together before two witnesses and express their marriage vows and be married, validly married. The church would be solemnized later when they had the priest present there. Um, so the point, the point I'm making is this, though, that if they're trying to get married before a non-Catholic minister, if they're trying to get married in a non-Catholic church, they're trying to get married before a justice of the peace. No. They do not have any authorization from God to marry those who are baptized Catholics. Catholics cannot validly marry, except as Catholics. That doesn't mean they have to marry Catholics, but they have to marry as Catholics marry. This does not involve justice of the peace or Jewish synagogues or Lutheran churches.
And so if a Catholic were to be asked to be part of the wedding party or witnesses for a marriage that is invalid, they could not accept that. They could not even attend an invalid marriage. And so they're recognizing that there were a marriage there. They could not go to the reception to celebrate an invalid marriage. With what the church would tell them, this is this, these two people are living together in fornication. They're not married together in the eyes of God. One of them, at least, was a Catholic, baptized a Catholic, cannot validly marry in this way. The two of them are not married in the eyes of God. And therefore, you cannot celebrate something that is actually very sinful, fornication or adultery. If you were to do that, if you were to stand by very solemnly and as though you are consenting to this thing, you are giving grave scandal to everyone involved. Um, if you go to the reception and celebrate the event, you're celebrating what is actually a mortal sin, the beginning of a series of mortal sins of uh, fornication or possibly adultery, if one of them is married to somebody else, validly, it would be adultery. And so realize that you have to draw the line, and you have to realize that when you're asked to do these things, you are being asked to do something that is a betrayal of our Lord, a betrayal of His Church, a betrayal of your faith, a betrayal of your own soul, and actually a betrayal of those you love, including the one who's asking you to do this. And if you truly do love them, the answer you give will be no. And the answer as to why is because I do love you and I will not, I will not betray you by accepting your invitation um, in, in your betrayal of the faith, in your betrayal of Christ. It's wrong. I'm not going to encourage you to lose your soul. I'm not going to encourage you to, to go to hell. Um, so anyway, I don't know if this is of help. I hope some of it is. Um, in any case, uh, may God bless you and strengthen you and always keep you faithful.